0: Listening to a Drishti Point podcast. Please visit our website for more inspiring interviews on yoga, spirituality, and wellness. I'm here with Atum, who is a teacher who leads two year spiritual guide trainings as well as pilgrim- pilgrimages to sacred places. He studied with teachers of all the major traditions and also has a Ph.D. in Transpersonal Psychology, which I find very interesting. And I'm hoping that you'll share a lot of the wisdom and knowledge and teachings that you've had with us here today. Welcome, Atum.
1: Thank you. It's a joy to be with you.
0: You know, I am so interested and I find it so fascinating um, the little that I know of union Psychology. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit today about... Um, How understanding archetypes can help us on the spiritual path and what the connection is in what you teach?
1: Well, I have found it enormously valuable because Jung perceived that there's another level of our life rather than a factual level of our life. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with what he called the personal myth that each of us live. And if we look deeper, we discover that there are archetypal patterns in every person's life. So it can be an incredible discovery to look and see, oh, this pattern that appears in my life, what archetype holds that pattern? So if I can understand the archetypal basis of my life, I begin to understand a much deeper structure that moves through my journey.
0: And I suppose that would help people who are needing to be affirmed in the direction of their life or looking for a purpose or connecting with something, a bigger sense of their purpose in this particular life.
1: Very much so, because if you can uncover some of the archetypal patterns in your life then you can also see where many of your gifts lie Mm -hmm. and what's the particular contribution that that kind of archetype brings to the world Mm -hmm. and so then you're in harmony with the deep structure of your soul or being and you can find support in that, you can find understanding and you also, in the myths that tell the pattern of each archetype you can understand some of the difficulties, some of the ordeals that you may encounter Mm -hmm. in the journey of life One of the things that's very helpful is it helps people see that it's not all so personal, that life (laughs) isn't out to get you, (laughs) that there are certain archetypal patterns repeated throughout time, throughout all the cultures, throughout human existence, Mm -hmm. and that we participate in those. Mm -hmm. So that's another way where I find it is very helpful for people to see it's not something wrong with me or life's not out to get me this is part of the human journey and it's a certain way in which i make that journey Mm -hmm. and i have gifts and i have ordeals to deal with that go with each archetype
0: and i imagine maybe studying also the history of people who fit that archetype can also provide lessons in how to overcome those challenges or how to overcome those ordeals
1: I find that to be very powerful. So if I look at, for example, the life of Carl Jung, Mm -hmm. I can understand something of the wounded healer, Mm -hmm. someone who went very deep through a wounding experience and came out a healer for other people because Mm -hmm. he understood woundedness. Mm -hmm. If we look at Christianity, for example, Christ is an example of the wounded healer. We even see images of Christ Carrying the wounds Uh And there's the story after the resurrection takes place When the disciple He appears to the disciples And one of them, Thomas, is not there And Thomas says, well, I'll believe he's resurrected When I can put my hands into his wounds That's why he's called Doubting Thomas Uh And Christ appears to him And says, come, put your hands in my wounds So Thomas does and what's an enormously wise teaching in that Christian myth, in that archetype, is the wounds are a part of the journey, mm-hmm. but the resurrection is they can be touched and they don't draw the same reaction in the past.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so that's the miracle.
1: That is the miracle. That's the miracle at the core of Crucif- At the core of Christianity, that shows us that's true for all of us in the human journey.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That we can have been wounded deeply, we can be lost in our woundedness and be crucified in that But the resurrection is when we've made a deep transformational journey Then the wounds have been part of our journey They're not cut out, they don't disappear Mm -hmm. But we have an entirely new relationship with them Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then we can understand other people's woundedness
0: I was just going to say, I see seen a lot of people who have a lot of trauma that it's their greatest gift in helping other people and understanding others who've had similar experiences.
1: And I think that's the resurrection. That's mm-hmm. what one of the places where Jung differed from Freud mm-hmm. is Jung felt that the impulse of the human being to find meaning in life was as strong as the sexual impulse.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's what, and that's one of the ways human beings are defined in our current time is we're meaning makers mm-hmm. so that we can have been wounded and then take that wound and and our understanding from it, our journey with it and then be able to help other people with the same wound. That's an enormous gift. That's resurrection.
0: Yes, absolutely. So the wounded healer is one archetype. Are are there, can you tell us some more spiritual archetypes?
1: Oh, surely. I mean, there are hundreds. Mm -hmm. So one example that I just listened to a whole number of stories today because of an assignment that the group I'm working with has had is the myth of the divine child. Mm -hmm. So every one of us comes into the world as a divine child. Mm Mm-hmm. The divine. I mean, I have four children, I was present at every one of their births, I delivered one of my children. Children are divine when they come into the world. It's one of the most awesome experiences in life. Mm -hmm. So a child is born into the world with a sense of divinity, and then over time, whether it's in the family or the religion or the social structure, that divinity becomes threatened. And that's how you have the story in Judaism of the pharaoh and Moses Moses has to be hidden as a child can't have his true identity otherwise he'll be killed Christ is born is also his existence is threatened by Herod if we look at the story of Krishna Krishna also has to be hidden the king, his uncle, attempts to kill him. Mm-hmm. There's something in... the Universal stories tell the same thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And for the divine child who's born as a girl, in none of our contemporary major religions do they speak of the divine child as a girl. Mm-hmm. That's the great, great wounding for the feminine. Now, if you go back to the Greek time, we can see in the myth of Persephone, the divine child is a girl. Mm-hmm. It's Persephone. And that's a major piece to look at. So all of these have the sense of the divine child is born, and then something threatens the existence of the divine child. And then its task is to hide something of that divine aspect just to survive. Mm-hmm. Just to survive. And then later on to claim the qualities that were in that divine child and live them not as a child but claim the qualities in our adult life which are our great gifts. Mm
0: -hmm. I see and that would apply to everyone obviously. That's
1: every person and one of Jung's great contributions is he articulated the collective unconscious which is there are certain archetypal patterns that are reproduced all around the world in all these different cultures Mm -hmm. And yes, from my perspective, every child that's born is a divine child. And in most situations, something happens along the way to threaten the survival of that divine child. And we hear that in the stories. I mean, Christ has to be taken into Egypt. Mm -hmm. Moses' identity is hidden. Krishna is given into the hands of foster parents, we would say. Mm -hmm. And we look at Persephone. She's pulled into the underground. Mm -hmm. So there's something that threatens that divine child and then the task is survival and to a later point where you can claim its creativity back. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's another powerful piece. But the archetype of the mother, the archetype of the father, the archetype of youth, childhood, old age, midlife, these are all archetypes and they have deep patterns in them.
0: Are there any archetypes of a spiritual warrior? Like yes. in the Bhagavad Gita, there's Krishna on the battlefield. Um, tell us a little bit about the spiritual warrior archetype.
1: Well, I think it has to do with how we define a spiritual warrior. I mean, in our time, I would definitely say Martin Luther King was a spiritual warrior.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An
1: enormous spiritual warrior. Yes. And I think we're in a time of... Enormous conflict, and we live in a nuclear age, and we need, we need people like Martin Luther King or Mandela, mm-hmm. uh, or the people who take that warrior quality and put it into a context that creates greater consciousness. Mm-hmm. So I just saw a movie Hannah Arendt, who I don't know if you know, she wrote The mm-hmm. Banality of Evil. Yes, she was a spiritual warrior. <laughs> You know, there are women who have also held that quality so strongly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we need them. We, and we need to take and evolve the idea of the warrior into a spiritual warrior in our cultures throughout the world for a greater consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I think it's incredibly needed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes spirituality is presented as, from my perspective, too soft. Mm -hmm. And we need to stand up for certain pieces in life. And that's why one of the archetypes I'm deeply concerned about in fostering is the archetype of the advocate of the soul. Mm -hmm. Who speaks for the soul of humanity? Especially in a time of enormous materialism in the West and the ascendance of the ego as opposed to the soul. Who speaks for the soul?
0: So would this be spiritual teachers who um, help to connect people with their deepest longings and the deepest part of themselves? Would that be the those teachers? Would they be an example of an advocate for the soul?
1: They are definitely an example for that in all the great traditions. But Amnesty International is an example of that.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: speaks of the right of a human being. Every human being has the right to speak from their conscience. Mm -hmm. in Seattle we have the Gates Foundation and if you go to the Gates Foundation I mean there's spiritual warriors in our time and you see they're built on the premise that every human being no matter where you're born no matter what your political economic orientation is you have the right to live a healthy life Mm -hmm. this is the consciousness that's emerging in our time and the people who stand for that in all areas of life They're the ones who are, I would say, the warriors for a new consciousness, a new global consciousness built upon recognizing the divinity of every single human being. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Dalai Lama is an example of that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, we we associate the Dalai Lama with compassion, etc., but he's an enormous warrior.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> you know, just an enormous warrior for the integrity of human beings. Mm-hmm. So I think the world is, uh, is filled with people, some of them known throughout the world. Uh, where there's a CNN program called Heroes. Mm-hmm. And they elect out of hundreds of applications, 10 heroes to model the fact that there are people who take those stands throughout the world many of whom are in our local neighborhood.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there you know there are incredible examples of of that aspect in human beings. And When we see things like the 9/11 or the recent Boston thing what reminds us or the Katrina hurricane or the floods in New York is What we call, quote, average people do enormously heroic things. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's the spiritual warrior that emerges in those moments. So it's in all of us.
0: Mm -hmm. And is there an archetype for um, those who, you know, I'm thinking of the media that, or to watch the news, it can be so... Uh, difficult to watch the news because of what we see, and I think there's a need for the opposite kind of news to be had, where people share stories of heroism and share stories of the extraordinary and miraculous and the triumph of the human spirit. So what archetype would that be?
1: Well, I agree with you and very strongly, and I think the Dalai Lama makes a very powerful statement when he says that the media gives us a distorted image of how the world actually is. Mm -hmm. Because the media does not record the millions of acts of human kindness in the world every single day. Mm -hmm. There was also a study I read about five or six years ago of the effect upon people who watched television over a 10 year period. And they were actually convinced that the world was more violent than it is. We are getting a very distorted image mm-hmm. through the media. And the reason is that sells mm-hmm. because it gets enlarged emotionally. It's shocking. It rises the adre- raises the adrenaline and it's hyped.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, how many times can you, you know, when you think of all the times that they sh- re-showed the images of 9-11 mm-hmm. and that went into the psyche of people, There's no need for that. And we lose the balance. We actually lose how to respond as a human being to those situations because we're so filled with distortion.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, like any field or any archetype, there's a positive face and a negative face. Mm -hmm. So what CNN is attempting to do for world trafficking and contemporary slavery, especially world trafficking of minors for sexual misuse and abuse. That's the gift of the media Mm -hmm. to bring us into consciousness. And then they show us like the woman uh, in Nepal who's created this place of refuge for women that are brought back and she'll go into India and bring them back, these young girls. You know, that gives us, it shows us the cruelty of the world and it shows us the gift the other gift of human beings to make enormously creative contributions,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what we get now is incredibly distorted through especially through television. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, who would not be depressed about the state of humanity if you continually look at the news?:
0: mm-hmm. I totally agree. So now we've we've uh, it's been so fascinating, and I'm sure we could talk a lot more. Do you have have you written a lot about archetypes? or any of your books specifically on teaching spiritual archetypes?
1: Well, most of what I have done in terms of writing is for the two year program, and then there are advanced programs, two advanced programs. So it's within the context of people doing the study. It's various manuals and things like that.
2: Mm-hmm. I see, and
1: um, and also. I tend to be more inclined towards speaking because it's easier for me. It flows much more (laughs) in an uninterrupted way. Right. So I do have all kinds of um, auditory materials available.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Now I know in both transpersonal psychology and also on the spiritual path, the accessing and understanding our dreams is, is also important. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about what is happening when we come into a dream state? And how can we um, access what is there and and use it as part of our path?
1: It's a beautiful question. And one piece that's involved is dreams come on different levels. Mm-hmm. So there's a Jungian analyst, John Sanford, whose model I liked very much. He said some some dreams are just taking the trash out. It's impressions that we've picked up during the course of the day, and it's releasing those impressions. Mm -hmm. And then some, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and we need, we need to clean out impressions because Mm -hmm. in the course of one day, every person we meet, every environment we go into, has an impression that it places on us. Right. And many of the great mystics of different traditions, in the end of the night, or in, excuse me, in the end of the day, before they went to sleep, they went through and reviewed the day.
0: Yes, I've heard that mm-hmm. and it's
1: a way of both releasing impressions that we need to let go of mm-hmm. and also savoring the the prayer beads of our life mm-hmm. the moments in our life that will never come again, but this has been a jewel. This has been a bead on the prayer beads that make the journey of my life mm-hmm. so. One level is we clear out the impressions. The next level is that there are dreams that actually have to do with circumstances in our life. Mm -hmm. And we get the opportunity to see it from a different perspective. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Often the dream will present another way of looking at it. And then we have this larger or enhanced perspective. And then the third level are dreams that have to do with our inner world and the different, let's say, parts within our psyche Mm -hmm. and then to understand what's happening in our psychic world and what's happening, for example, in the shadow part of me, a Jungian term, or what's happening to my inner masculine or my inner feminine, what's taking place in my inner world? and Jung spoke about in midlife the changing of the gods takes place the archetypes rearrange themselves. That's why midlife is such a huge passage. Really? Yes. So if we look at a, at a Buddhist mandala,
0: mm-hmm.
1: one of the central patterns is you have a core deity in the center. Mm-hmm. And then you have in a circle. The next thing is a circle. And you may have four or six deities.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One way of understanding those is that's what your psyche can look like in the inside. Mm -hmm. That there's a core archetype, and then there are a series of very important and secondary archetypes. And in huge passages, that circle changes.
0: Uh Aha, I see. And
1: that's why we change greatly, because some archetypes are receding that have been very important, and some new ones are coming in. And our dream world can show us that, because the unconscious wants, the psyche wants us to know so we can participate consciously and be supportive, what's taking place in our inner world. Mm -hmm. The last piece, or the fourth level, from John Sanford, is what in Jungian terminology is known as a big dream. And that comes from the collective unconscious. And usually it doesn't have personal references, but it comes from the deep wisdom of all human experience and those big dreams usually will tell us something about the rest of the journey of our life. Mm -hmm. They reveal something about the very deep inner patterns of our journey and they often will draw upon symbols and myths and figures from the world's great traditions Mm -hmm. and maybe a tradition we've never been exposed to. So, But the dream impacts us so strongly with a big dream, you live in it usually for some days afterwards. You're you're kind of filled with that world. (laughs) And that's an enormous help because if you really um, are present to that dream over a period of time, it will give you amazing guidance and insight about the deep movements in your life, the Mm -hmm. deep movements at the core of your being.
0: I see um, it's it's fascinating to hear you speak about the the dreams and the different levels of dreams and um, and I'm particularly interested in the, the midlife transformation. Um, and One thing I also wanted to talk to you about and maybe we can talk about it in this context is the purpose of a Spiritual guide or a spiritual teacher How important is that and what is the role of a spiritual teacher on the path?
1: That's a quite a significant topic and it's a topic that really deserves to be looked at very deeply mm-hmm. and I uh, I would say the role of a spiritual teacher, the primary role, is to be able to support the journey of your soul. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that happens for people, and this is an area of a lot of confusion, Mm -hmm. is a teacher of mine, a Sufi teacher, Pirvilaya Inayat Khan, used to say, your soul suffers because you can't see it, soul meaning the deeper reality within you, Mm -hmm. because you're so identified with the self-image that's been impressed upon you, impressed upon you, and your soul's trying to get you to see the larger reality of what you are. But all you can see is the self-image, and you're stuck with it. So the soul then projects itself on a spiritual teacher.
0: Aha, I see.
1: Whether that's a formal spiritual teacher or an informal spiritual teacher. And where the confusion comes is people, of course, still are identified to their self-image. So they think it's all the teacher. Right. And actually, the teacher is a mirror for your soul. It's a mirror to show you dimensions of your soul that you have been unable to recognize. Now, a really good spiritual teacher or a really good transpersonal psychologist knows it's not them, (laughs) and they're willing to hold it long enough in a sacred enough way for you to come into relationship with it and then gradually keep handing it back to you, back to you, back to you, and model how to relate to that part of your being. Mm -hmm. So the relationship with the teacher and the student, let's say, becomes a modeling of how to relate to the teacher within you how to relate to your own soul and that's why this great sufi poet rumi said the true teacher is constantly breaking the idol that you're trying to make of them <laughs> and we you know we we often want to keep somebody in that role even past the time in which it's healthy and and we resist sometimes the actual taking it into ourself again. Mm-hmm. Because it can be enormously beautiful to have someone in your life that when you see them, it evokes a deep sense of devotion and it opens your heart and this have someone who you feel knows. And that's a stage. Mm-hmm. That's the idealization stage. It's the projection of the soul stage. And both parties need to realize this is part of a larger process.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when the time comes, both parties need to support the next movement, from my perspective.
0: And I suppose in yoga they say when the duality of subject and object merge into one, that is the, would be the experience of the soul not projecting anymore.
1: That's very much it, I would say. That's deeply it. And, and the journey prepares us for that. Uh, and there's a lot of confusion in our time because these pieces are not clearly we don't have a culture in which that relationship has existed right? and so and we've transplanted often Eastern cultures and the teachers from Eastern cultures often don't have any experience with the Western individuation process so there's been enormous confusion mm-hmm. and there is clarification I think coming And big steps have been made but often this this is not an articulated process for people and Mm -hmm. then sometimes it leads to an unhealthy dependency Mm -hmm. sometimes it leads to inflation on the part of the teacher and sometimes it leads to deep disillusionment Mm -hmm. on the part of the student and that wounding is there.
0: That was such a uh Beautiful and profound and I would say precise articulation of that relationship. So thank you Um, Is there anything else you'd like to offer for our listeners as we draw this interview to a close?
1: the one thing that I would offer that's been coming through my dreams and I would also say some of our Meditation experiences come from that same world. Mm -hmm is the world right now is an enormous transition. I work in a lot of countries and every country I work in or I travel in is in very profound transition. And part of the transition process is a polarization between the new growth and the old way of being. Mm-hmm. And as this whole world is in transition, what's asked of us in a spiritual path is to hold a center. Mm-hmm. Because enough people have to hold a center that we can get through this transition. So for me, the spiritual path is no longer primarily about one's own self-realization. We need to serve the larger world at the present moment. And that means a commitment to the practices that enable us to hold a center that serves then the world. Because the world needs to have a center as it goes through this transformational process.
0: So where, where our path is, the purpose of our path is in service of the whole, of everyone's path.
1: I, that I think is the core. And that, uh, that's the place, what's so needed in our time is not to get ripped out into the polarization, not to get lost in the fear, not to get overwhelmed by the hype but to hold a clear, anchored, rooted center and to do the practices that support that. So as the Dalai Lama has said, the most important contribution you can make to the world is your state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And that's what's meant by holding a center. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So that's the piece I would most say. Whatever tradition we are, whether we're in a tradition or not, how do we stand in a centered way? And help the world find its way through this great transition
0: well it's been it's been so wonderful to have this conversation with you and I hope that if you come back to Vancouver or even if you don't that there'll be a, a chance for us to continue the dialogue um, but thank you so much for your time and your insight and your wisdom and for being with us here on Drishti Point.
1: Joy to meet you, joy to be with you, thank you. <music>
0: Thank you for listening to Drishti Point. We dedicate our efforts to the health and happiness of our listeners and for the health and happiness of all living beings.